Hey, Victory family, Darla and I miss you so much, and we cannot wait until we can gather again uh, together in worship. In case you haven't been able to hear any of the announcements, we follow different guidelines, guidelines that go along with Rutherford County Schools, and we're just kind of listening week to week. Right now, our hopes are about mid-July, but certainly stay in tune to social media, our website, Facebook, because that could be sooner or it could be later. Um, I think all of us right now are really walking through, both with ourselves and our families, on how to respond and how to react to the tragic events of the past couple of weeks, specifically the murders of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine named Nikki, and I shared with her that I was beginning to, to be ready to share my heart and some of the experiences that I've heard and walked through and been through. And what I told her was that I think I'm going to cancel uh, or, or forego week four of Soul Hunger, which is the series we've been in as a church, and turn my attention 100% to what's happening. And I remember she said, well, just make it a part of Soul Hunger. And I told her at the time, I said, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be restricted by the theme of the series. And it was interesting because a couple of days later, I was in prayer and I really felt the Lord start to show me that that what we're going to talk about today is in fact um, part four of soul hunger. It, it is the finale of soul hunger because we're going to be talking about our soul as well as the souls of our of our brothers and sisters. And one of the thoughts that kept coming back to my mind is that we are defenders of each other's souls. Now I know we've talked about in Scripture that God is the guardian of our soul, but we have a responsibility to love one another. We have a responsibility to help one another. We have a responsibility to defend one another. You know, if you, if you study scripture, the gospel itself opposes racism. Everything about the gospel, everything. As a matter of fact, I said last week that the theme of scripture was affirmation and affection and acceptance. And those three things are the very things that racism goes against. Right? It goes against being accepted. It goes against being loved. It goes against showing affection and showing acceptance and, and, and uh, showing affirmation. Matter of fact, I wanted to read to you 1 John 4.20 because it doesn't get any more uh, obvious than this right here. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. You, you can't hate your brother and sister and love God. So, so the gospel itself, Jesus constantly uh, addressed racism. The gospel and the scriptures itself go against it. So it's important for us, especially believers, to come alongside and be defenders of each other's souls and opposers of racism. And it was funny, as we were getting ready for, for the recording of this Sunday, I had a lot of thoughts. I thought about bringing in some friends of mine. I thought about doing interviews. I, I thought about just reposting interviews and sermons that I've seen that were so great and that articulated things that I don't think I could ever articulate. And, and I really wanted to put before you somebody who might be more experienced or more educated. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I just remembered that I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I think in a time like this where sometimes the prophetic mouth or, or the, the, the church's voice, let me say that, the prophetic voice or the church's voice tends to become quiet, and now is not a time for that. Now is the time more than ever for the prophetic voice and the church's voice and the pastor's voice to be louder than ever. I'm your pastor. I have to lead you through this, and so I just want to let you know right off the bat that 
I don't, I don't know that I'm going to say it all right today. I, I don't know that I'll say it all. Some might step back and say, man, you, you could have said more. Some might step back and say, you, you said too much. And, and that's okay. And I, I loved hearing an interview recently from a couple of pastors who said, now's not the time to wait until we can articulate it correctly. Now's not the time to wait until we know exactly what the perfect thing to say is. Now's just the time to speak about it, to talk about it. And so I want to do that. And there are some particular verses that have been burning in my heart now for weeks and have always been kind of something I've gone back to um, in, in my prayer time and in my journal. And it's something that's very familiar and very parallel to what we're facing today. And you're going to find it in the book of Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read just the opening verses, and then I'm going to explain a little bit of the detail to you. And so we're going to start at verse 1, and it goes like this. We're going to read to about verse 7. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That'll be important in a little bit. But one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone... Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. So we're introduced to two people, Peter and Cornelius. So let me explain a little bit of details. Peter is a Jew, and Cornelius is called a Gentile. Now, that word Gentile simply means non-Jew. So anybody that wasn't a Jew, or if, if, whatever that race would have been, they just assigned the name Gentile. So you've got Cornelius, Gentile. And you've got Peter, a Jew. And what's going on right now, ultimately, is this concept of racism. Cornelius would have been viewed as less than. He would have been viewed as disenfranchised, uh, unimportant. All these different things that went along with the tag Gentile, simply because he didn't look like and wasn't a Jew like Peter. And so you have this moment that that's, if you look at it again, according to kind of what we're facing today, there's a parallel there. You've got Peter, a Jew. Cornelius, a Gentile. You've got different races of people right now, white person, black person. And and what was happening in Acts 10 is happening today. And and God did something very strategic in Acts 10 that I think we need to really pay attention to. And if we watch and then we even try to model out the same things that God used Peter and Cornelius to overcome, I think that we ourselves could make some real progress in battling the sin of that is racism. And so when you continue to read this story, and we won't read the entirety right now, but I do encourage you to read it. There are three things that I pulled out from from this that you see Peter and Cornelius experience that I think you and I could begin to put into motion in our lives. Because here's what I'm hearing from, especially from a lot of white people, I'm hearing, what what can we do? What, What can we say? How can we help? And I think that you're gonna see three things that Peter and Cornelius did that we can do. And if we'll assign those things to our daily life, if we'll make those things a part of our culture and a part of who we are in our spirit, I think we can make the same impact that you see happen between Peter and Cornelius. And so I want to take you through those things just briefly. Uh, The first one is this, and that is simply prayer. 
prayer. I, I think the most important thing that you and I can do right now is to be praying. And I'm going to break this down in a minute, but I don't just mean, I mean, yes, praying for the family of those who experience such injustice, praying for people of color who are experiencing injustice, praying over fear, praying over yourself, praying over your heart, praying over your family, praying over our country, all those things. But I want to break it down a, a little bit more than just that. First, let me show you what I mean. In Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, when it explains Cornelius, it said that he prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius is a man of prayer. So, so anything that he's experiencing, he's bringing to, to God through prayer regularly. Okay, so that's Cornelius. He's a praying man. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 9 says this, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, watch this, Peter went up, up on the roof to pray. So Cornelius is a man of prayer, and Peter is a man of prayer. See, the truth is that racism is a hard issue. And if we're going to be able to really impact racial divide, it starts with prayer. It starts with our heart. I heard a pastor say this, and it was so profound. He said, it doesn't matter how many laws you pass. If it's a heart issue, it won't matter, right? So, so what's happening right off the bat that God's showing us is that Peter and Cornelius knew what was most important, which was prayer. I'll give you an example of what I'm speaking about. Uh, in case you're watching and are not familiar with Victory Church, we planted our church in Smyrna, Tennessee a couple of years ago and on the on a, what was considered our launch day. So we had gathered a, a group of people that were going to help us start the church and we promoted it and we prepared and we practiced. And then the day came that we were going to have our official first service and, and we launched the church. And our church is a multicultural church, not only uh, in attendance, but in leadership. And so the day, the first day of our church, we launched and we had a great day. It was incredible. And a couple hours after the service, I got a text message from a gentleman who was planning a church about a year later, about, you know, 50 or 60 miles away. And he had attended our service. And he said to me in the text message, great diversity on stage. And he, he meant, well, I'm, I'm not in any means attacking him as an individual, but what he said was great diversity on stage. And I remember talking to my wife about it. And I remember saying, that was never a, an agenda of mine. That was never a goal of mine. I didn't, I didn't set back and say, you know, okay, we need, we need, you know, a person of color on stage and we need a, we need, you know, a woman on stage. We, we, we never did that. So if we're not careful, our approach towards overcoming racism can become a strategy right? That, that's what that sounded like, as if I was doing it with an agenda, as if I had put together a strategy. And sometimes my fear is that when we start to speak up towards racism, that we might be moving in more of the direction of wanting to establish a strategy instead of establishing a spirit. So, so, so let me explain. Strategy says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to post about. I'm going to promote. I'm going to defend. I'm going to walk. I'm going to support because I want something out of it, because I can gain something out of a friendship with a person of color, or I can gain having a person of color on my team or supporting me. That's the strategy that says, I'm going to do these things so that I can get something out of it. That's different than just having a multicultural spirit. You see, if we're not careful, we'll have a multicultural strategy instead of a multicultural spirit. And so as I'm reading that text message, I said, that, that wasn't my goal. I didn't have a strategy. I had a multicultural spirit. And so it just so happened that the people that were in my life, that the people who had moved to Smyrna, Tennessee with me to help start a church, that the team that we had built to help, you know, found this church 
happened to be multicultural because it was a multicultural spirit, not a multicultural strategy. And I'll just be real honest with you for a moment. I struggled a couple days ago with post, and there was a post where you just put a, a black screen and it was called Blackout Tuesday. And, and our church posted that way. And a lot of my friends, both, you know, white, black, Hispanic, they we all were posting that. And I struggled for just a moment to post that because I, I was asking myself, is this coming off as a strategy, right? And, and am I, is there an agenda behind this? And I just always wanted to make sure that my response and, and, and why I waited to speak till now, that my response and my direction and my leadership is driven by multicultural spirit, not a multicultural strategy. Does it make sense? Because here's, here, here's the truth, that as much as my prayer needs to be for the family of George Floyd and the family of Ahmaud Arbery and for every person in our world of color who is experiencing injustice and racism, as much as that needs to be my prayer, my prayer needs to start with me. And I think important, the reason why prayer becomes number one is because I have to check my heart, right? David said in Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a pure heart. Depending on what version you're reading, I say create in me a clean heart. And I think that's why Cornelius and Peter were the people for the job. Because Peter had been praying and was a man of prayer, and Cornelius was a man of prayer. And before you and I can make any impact, it's important for us to pray and ask God, hey, check me out, right? Check me out. How is my heart? Is my heart pure? What, what, what's happening inside my home? What's happening when, when something happens? What's my first thought? What's my initial thought? Again, I'll share with you something that happened between me and God a few days ago. Um, I, I like to believe that that I'm not racist. Um, and I was praying and walking, listening to some some podcasts and different interviews. And and, I, and again, this is for me. I can't say this is for you, but this is for me. There was there was a moment between me and God where where God's, God was reminding me that as I was growing up. My, my one of my best friends still to this day, but certainly as I was growing up was was a a, a black guy by the name. His name is Addison Russell, and and we were close. And and anytime there was a, a racial experience, a racial moment, or or a an experience that might have been you know a, a racist experience, I don't think I verbally said it, but certainly in my mind I would say, oh, I'm not racist. And, and and if if you were to ask me then, why would you say that? It's for me, that it was a, it was a, the ability to tone down what was happening and and to assure and affirm him, and I think I think a lot of us, you know, white people, I think I think we when something like that happens, the first response we go into is, well, well I'm not racist, and that's true, we assume, but what I felt the spirit of God tell me that I had never really thought of before, is that there is, when 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 I say that or when I think that, I am turning down the voice of my brother or sister when it comes to what they are facing, right? Because I'm a leader, because, because of my nature, because of who I am, my wife will tell you this, I try to fix things. And so when something bad happens, I immediately try to explain to the room that it's not that bad, right? That we can we can get a handle on this. If my kid falls and, and her face is cut open and it's bleeding, I'm immediately trying to, to establish the fact that it's not that bad, that if this happens and this happens, we can overcome this. And, and I think subliminally in my heart and in my mind, I didn't mean this, but I think whenever I was responding with, I'm not racist, 
I think something in me was trying to tone it down to be able to say it's not that bad, that we can get a handle on this, we can overcome this, right? And again, it wasn't out of, I didn't even know I was doing it, but the Holy Spirit was showing me when you do that, you turn down the volume of your friend, of your brother, of your sister, of, of your coworker who is trying to say, no, this is a lot worse than you think it is. And so it's important for us to pray and say, God, check my heart, right? When something like this happens, I can't run to the, to the platform of, well, I'm not racist, so I, I don't need to be included in the conversation. No, what if I am? What if there's something deep, deep down, right? Like, what? yes, I may not be, but what, what's being communicated in my home? What, what, what are my parents talking about? What are my grandparents talking about? What are my siblings saying? What are some of my closest friends putting on Facebook? It's opportunity for me to check my heart. That's why prayer has to be number one. Number one prayer is for me. God, check my heart. Make, renew a right spirit in me. Create a pure heart and a clean heart. Before, before I try to be a voice to anything, God, let me f first, you be a voice into my spirit, right? We, we have to be praying. Prayer has to be, I, I was sharing this with a friend recently. I, I, I think prayer has, has gotten to a place where it, it's, it's a way out, right? It's, it's, I want this conversation to stop, so I'll say I'm going to pray for you. Or I don't really want to be bothered by this situation, so I'll just say I'll pray for it. And, and we've gotten to a place where the concept of prayer has been cheapened so that when something like this happens and somebody responds with, let's pray, or I'm praying, it can almost come off as a cheap response. And, and we have to demolish that mindset. We have to get back to a place where the most important thing we can do is pray. When something like this happens, I'm praying. I'm praying for George Floyd's family. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters. I'm praying for my country. I'm praying for myself. Prayer has to, we have to get back to understanding that prayer is the number one most important thing we can do in a time like this. We must pray. I have to pray for you, I have to pray for my country, I have to pray for my church, and I have to pray for me. God, create in me a pure heart. God, pray for them, heal, provide, deliver. It's prayer. It has to start with prayer. And God made that clear by letting you know at the beginning of Acts 10 that Cornelius is a man of prayer and Peter is a man of prayer. So number one is prayer. Number two is perspective. I, th I think it's important that we see it. So, so, so let me again walk you through this. Acts chapter 10, verse 3, Cornelius has been established as a man of prayer. Now watch this. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. So, so, so Cornelius is a man of prayer. Now, now, he's, now he's having a vision. Now, now he's going from not being able to see to being able to see. Now he's having a revelation, and I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. Now watch Acts 10, verses 10, 11. This is talking about Peter now. Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He had a vision. So we've got two men who are both men of prayer, which mean they have been praying that God would create a pure heart in them, and they have been praying for other people, and now, now those two men are having a vision. Now there's a perspective shift, right? Now, watch this. You can't truly see and then be silent. That's just been a word for me. You can't truly see and then be silent. You say, well, what do you mean by truly 
see. I, I, again, I was talking to some friends of mine about me and Addison. We spent, I don't know, 15, 16 years of our life growing up together, spending at each other's house all the time. And, and I tried to think back to that and say, you know, did I ever see racism at, at that time? You know, I, we were born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And so obviously it was around us. And if you would have asked me then, like, well, what, what was racism at that time? What did you think it was? I probably would have said, you know, negative verbiage. I probably would have said, you know, uh, judgment when they see us or see him, I guess. I, but, but there was never a moment where I thought his life was in danger. Um, but, but that's my perspective. And I think that the, the next step to us being able to really overcome racism past us now, we've, we're praying people, we're praying for it. Now we have to have a perspective shift, right? Now we have to truly see, because when we truly see, we can't remain silent. There has to be a revelation. I was looking up the definition of the word revelation, and it was, it was getting an idea and knowledge off of an, off of an extreme experience, right? Something extreme has happened and now there's this revelation. So, so I have to share this story with you and I got to give you some backstory for you to really be able to catch it. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe, maybe even three weeks ago or so, we are in Memphis, Tennessee at my in-laws and we are there because we are dropping off or picking up our kids from their house. I'm not sure which one. And at the time, COVID-19 is still very strong, so everything's closed, and I really wanted to have my morning prayer time and some exercise time, and there's a road next to their house. It's about a mile or two long, and it dead ends, and it's just houses all the way down it, and so I had picked up a routine that every morning I'd wake up, and I'd go walk that road up and down in prayer and then run it up and down for exercise, and this particular morning, I go out. I'm starting to walk. I haven't been on the road 30 seconds. And three or four Shelby County sheriffs come flying past me. My, my in-laws live in Arlington, Tennessee. They come flying past me. Obviously, it gets my attention. I don't know what's going on. I keep on walking. I end up seeing that they are at a house that's on that road. And um, I, I walk past that house. I go to the end. I come back for prayer. Now it's time for me to run up it. And as I'm going running up the road, one of the sheriffs is pulling out of the house and kind of pulls over near me to ask me some questions. Come to find out that house had been, had, there was an attempt to break into that house minutes before I had got on the road. And so this cop pulled over to ask me some questions and, and asked me, you know, what what I saw and, and if I had any evidence that could help them in their investigation and so on and so on. And so the, the officer was a complete gentleman, incredible guy. And we, we had a conversation and he went on, they moved on. And so, so that happened and it couldn't have been, I, I think it might've been a few days, maybe a week later that the murder of Ahmad Arbery happened. And, you know, it's a very similar situation. He's just jogging as was I. And yet I came home safely to my family and he lost his life. And so you could see right, right then was this moment, right? The revelation kind of began to, to come. It, it was just different this time because I could, I, I could really make it, I was truly seeing. And so it was much harder for me to be silent. And then this past Sunday, I'm on a Zoom call with the leadership of our church. And there's a, our leadership is multicultural. And one of the couples um, that, that are African-American, we, we begin to talk about some stuff. There's a pastor leading the conversation, leading us through some conversation about racial divide and so on. And I bring up that jogging story and the comparison to Ahmaud Arbery and, and what, it, what it did to me. And this pastor, once I get done talking, he stops and he asks one of, 
the gentleman on our director team who is African-American, he says, how do you think that same experience would have gone for you? And his response, y'all, broke me in the moment. He said, I would have been on the ground on my stomach with my hands behind my back. And, and I think what was worse than hearing him say that is I knew 100% when he said it that that was true. And there's just a revelation moment there for me. You know, I, I truly start to see it. And when you truly start to see it, you cannot remain silent. What happened with Cornelius and Peter is after they had established a prayer life and praying people, God started giving them vision started lending them a different lens so they could see it. Come on, listen to me. We have to be able to, to allow other people to lend us their lens, right? So that we can see from their perspective. So that what we see will, will cause a revelation in our spirit, right? And now we can't remain silent because we've seen it that way. On that same Zoom call, another uh, young woman on our on our leadership team who's African-American started to share about her daily routine with her kids and how a simple trip to the mall becomes, you know, I, I have to walk him through, you know, not to put his hands in his pockets and not to put the hood on his... And again, I'm sitting there listening to this and tears are just running down my face because this is a complete norm for her. This is the normal... And watch, she doesn't know... What's, when, when she allows her child to go to the mall, she does not know if her son is going to come back home, right, alive, not because he tried to, you know, steal anything or not because he caused trouble, but simply because of the color of his skin. And that, that is a totally new revelation. I, I heard an interview with T.D. Jakes, and, and when he said this again, it has to move you emotionally. He said, I didn't know what to tell his kids he doesn't know what to tell them so they can remain safe. He doesn't know what to tell them. And there's just this moment for, for me and for you and for our country and certainly for our church where revelation has to happen. These moments have to be revelation that shift the way we see. It shifts our perspective so that not only can we no longer remain silent, but we are saying, what can we do to see change because there's injustice, because there's fear and inequality, all of these things simply because the color of your skin. And that's what happened with Peter and that's what happened with Cornelius. There was a vision. There was this revelation that they had. And then change was a result of it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it starts off like this. Peter began to speak. So Peter has the vision. And then Peter begins to speak. Speaking is evidence of seeing. And as much as I'm going to pray for myself and pray for my country and pray for my church and my friends and, and my brothers and my sisters, I have to also speak. I have to also say, hey, that's injustice. That's cruelty. That's murder and be able to speak to those things because I see them. And listen, if I don't see them, then my prayer needs to be for sight. And my prayer needs to be for a revelation. A revelation that is so extreme that it moved me. Listen to me. Revelation leads to repentance. Repentance means to stop, turn around, and go a different direction. In order for us to truly see that in our country, repentance of racism, 
for our country and for racist people to stop, for our cultures and our government to stop and go a different direction, there has to be a revelation that leads to the repentance. And it starts with us, with me. God, give me a revelation. And he has been giving me revelations and I'm asking for more. And I wanna challenge you, church. If you haven't had that revelation, ask God for that revelation. God, help me see. Because once I truly see, I cannot remain silent and I will be moved with empathy to speak because speaking is the evidence of seeing. So it's prayer, there's perspective, and then third, there's power. There's a verse in Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 34 through 38. And 34 starts like this. Then Peter began to speak. And here's what Peter said. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Did you get that? God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now watch this. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Healing all who were under the power of the devil. So here you are, Acts chapter 10. A Jew, a Gentile, God's going to use them. He's going to teach them to pray. He's going to give them vision. And he's going to use them to overcome that racial divide that they're experiencing right there. And when Peter speaks to it, Peter calls it power of the devil. There it is. Racism is the power of the devil. And it's important for us to be praying to be seeing, to be speaking, and to be moving towards battling and overcoming that power. What was really significant last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And if you were raised in church in any way, you know that we celebrate the Holy Spirit and all that the Holy Spirit brings and, and, and does through us. And yet it was the Holy Spirit that fell in Acts chapter 10 after Peter and Cornelius were able to overcome that racial divide. Once they did that, the Holy Spirit fell. What does that tell us? That we can't celebrate Pentecost Sunday as long as we're allowing racism to exist, right? We have to start praying, God, give us that same Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can fall over a country, over a world that has overcome the racial divide. God, give us the Holy Spirit so that we can overcome the power of the devil, and look, I've been trying to be really transparent and honest during this message. I mean, just just here I am, and and I and as I'm saying it, sometimes when you when somebody says the power of the devil, you know, it sounds like I'm from some old you know country church. But can we just be real for a second? That's what it is. That's what it is. And we have to, the church has to be the first to stand up and begin to declare it and begin to pray against it and to pray over it and to say, we will not ignore what is happening. It is the power of the devil. We believe that the Holy Spirit that can, can come upon us and that we can overcome this and that we can pray and that we can stand together and we can see together and we can speak together. And this 
will not win. I had a friend of mine, she's African-American woman, she's a single mom, and she messaged me a couple weeks ago, I think right around the death of Ahmaud Arbery, maybe around the death of George Floyd, and she said, I'm scared. So I'm scared, Pastor, I don't know what to do. And, and amongst being there for her in every way we can, my wife and I just said, let's, let's not forget the power of prayer. Let's not forget the power of God's word. Let's not forget the power of the church. Let's not forget the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget the power of the believer. All of those powers overcome the power of the devil. That's our responsibility. Father, we pray. Father, we stand. Father, we read. Father, we believe the power of faith. God, you will help us overcome the power of the devil. I pray that we're going to see what happened with Cornelius and Peter happening right before our eyes. Before I pray, I, I do want to share with you some of the things. I talked earlier about a strategy versus a spirit. And as I was prepping this message, I wanted to make it very clear to those that are closest to me that this is not something that we speak about one Sunday and then we move on. And, and as a church and as your pastor, there's a lot of things that we are working on now to continue the conversation. Next week, we'll begin a series as a church where we'll go through the book of Philippians. We'll read through the entire book. It is one of the most diverse books in the Bible because it is a, it's about a diverse church. And I'm going to show you that. That when Paul built the church of Philippi, it was made out of so many different races and, and, and ethnic backgrounds. It was, it was a diverse church, and Paul loved it. And he talked about being one in spirit. And so it doesn't just end today. Like, we have to keep talking about this. How do we become one in spirit? Another thing that we're going to do as a church is I'm going to sit down in interviews with friends and leaders and other pastors and, and ask some of the difficult questions and continue to talk about it and have revelations so that we can take those that, that information, those interviews in a podcast archive and years down the road as people are coming to our church, we can educate them on racial divide. And so again, the concept is not that, that it's just a moment to speak about today, but it's what we're doing from this point forward. And I want to encourage you in three ways. Again, just to kind of sum up what we talked about. Number one is praying for yourself. I think it all starts with you in your heart. And then I think it happens in your home. And I think it was Monday of this week. I, I sat down with Veda, my oldest 10-year-old, and we just had a candid conversation. We just wide open. I let her ask any questions she wanted to ask. I explained what was happening. And we talked about her friends and, and what, what's happened over the past couple of weeks. And and I think it was important for us to have that conversation in our home. You know, it, it's not about, oh, you know, cover her ears. Don't let her hear what's going on. No, let's talk about it. So it starts in your heart. And then I think it's your home. And then after your home, then it becomes global. Then it becomes in my city and in my town and in my country and in my world. And so let's do that as a church. Let's continue to pray together. Let's continue to pray that God would create in us a pure heart. Then let's continue to, to talk to each other and hear let people grieve and let people hurt and listen so that there can be healing. And then let's figure out what we can do together to make a true movement in our country. Father, we thank you right now 
for your word. We thank you that for this is evidence that what you did with Cornelius and Peter, you can do today. God, don't let us, don't let us be fooled in believing that we can make any change without first starting with prayer. And then God, empathy. Lord, your word says to rejoice when others rejoice and to mourn when others mourn. So God, as much as we celebrate together, God, help us be able to mourn together so that we can continue to be unified, continue to be one in spirit, and continue to be able to make impact in bringing your kingdom here. Father, I pray for every person, every person, especially every individual of color that's been impacted by not just the, the events of the past few weeks, but of any event that might have brought fear, pain, loneliness, hatred, anger. And I pray healing over their heart right now. I pray for every person that's asking, what can I say, God? Give them wisdom and what to speak. Lord, I thank you for every leader, again, that's leading us in, in a proactive way in being able to overcome this racial divide. I pray that every pastor, every spiritual leader would speak. I pray that every church would be stronger and unified. And then, Father, I pray the words of Martin Luther King Jr. that every individual would be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.